A couple of years ago, the state of Illinois didn't budget money to help low-income students pay for college. Governor Bruce Rauner vetoed the entire higher education budget, which included $370 million to help needy college students. They couldn't pass a spending bill that would fund the Monetary Assistance Program, or MAP, grant. And that means well over 100,000 Illinois college students are on the hook for tuition payments they thought they would not have to make. I mean, it's very hard, to be quite honest. This is Jocelyn Ramirez. She's a student at Wilbur Wright College in Chicago. The state had been covering about half of Jocelyn's tuition payments. Any financial help is is like, uh, it it plays a big role into how fast I can finish my degree, too, because that determines, too, how many hours I have to work and stuff like that and try to make ends meet and make sure that, you know, everything stays aligned. Jocelyn had to take fewer classes. She worked more hours. She'll graduate a year and a half later than she expected. Across Illinois, at least 1,000 students who were enrolled in public colleges on MAP grants didn't return the following year when the funding was gone. A lot of people are in the same boat. Um, I've had students where they, yes, where they drop out, um, where they won't come back, like, for another year or so, or whenever they can afford to pay for college. Um, there's other students that I know that sometimes are they're, they've been living homeless just to be able to go to school. Like they can't afford, you know, for housing and stuff like that. From APM Reports, this is Educate, a podcast in collaboration with the Heckinger Report. I'm Stephen Smith. There are almost a million college students like Jocelyn across the country. They applied for student financial aid from their states last year and never got it, even though they qualified. In most cases, the states simply ran out of money. In this episode, we're talking about what happens to those students and why it is happening in so many states. I happen to be in Tennessee. This is Meredith Kolodner, a higher education reporter at the Heckinger Report. And one of the students was saying to me, well, you know, I was hoping to get the merit-based aid um, because I didn't didn't get the need-based state tuition aid. And I said, oh, did you not qualify in terms of income? And he said, no, I... I did qualify. It's just a certain number of people don't get the aid every year. It's just, it seems kind of random. And so it stuck in my head, and I was talking to some people, and I eventually called the state higher ed commission, and they said, "Uh, no, that's right. Um, We run out of money. And I said, well, even if they apply on time and if they're eligible and everything, all the paperwork is in order. And they said, yeah, just we just run out of money. So a certain number of people don't get it every year. So I I wondered if that was just a Tennessee issue, and I began to look around and found out that it's not just a Tennessee issue. It's a national issue. Meredith Kolodner spent months compiling data on the flagship student financial aid program in every state. She found that in 10 states, more than half of all low-income students who applied didn't get the financial aid money they were supposed to receive because the states ran out of money. What are states offering low-income students who want to attend college? Is it a loan? Is it a grant? Does every state sort of have one pot of money set up to uh, help students afford college? These are grants. These are This is money that you don't have to pay back. Um, and it usually is based on the level of income. If you come from a low-income family, the state will give you a certain amount of money to help you afford college if you stay in the state. And from the state's point of view... The idea is that you keep students in the state and therefore you keep, you don't have a brain drain, people go to college where they grew up and then also will work in the state. So that's sort of the thinking in terms of making sure that not just people who can pay for 
college go, but also people who otherwise wouldn't be able to go. Why is this happening? Are there more students in need, or is the the pot of money in each state getting smaller? It's a combination of things. Um, the enrollment is actually down in the last few years, um, but it is up overall over the last 10 or 15 years. Part of what's happened is that, well, there's two things that are really going on. One is that there's an understanding, there's a growing understanding among low-income students and families that in order to get a decent paying job, you need something more than high school. And so that's that's pushing lots of more people to consider college and aim for college. Now they really need the college degree in order to have a decent standard of living. So that's just a, an overall change in the economy. The second thing that's going on is that there's been huge cuts, especially since the recession, but continuing on um, in state budgets, and one of the first things that gets cut is higher education because you can't really cut Medicaid and Medicare and some of the other main um, programs that need funding. So higher ed has been cut massively. Now, do students apply for this kind of aid every year? I mean, what happens if they're in college on a state grant one year and then next year the state runs out of money? So some states um, give first preference to students who are continuing on so that they don't end up suddenly with no money. Some states don't do that. They just do it on a, you better remember to apply early and hope that you make the first cut. Um, In Illinois, actually, um, just after the story came out, um, there was a bill that said if you got one of the state aid grants, they're known as MAP grants, um, and you're in college and and you're going to be continuing, that you have preference to get another one. So there, there is something that seems fair about that if you're continuing on and suddenly you get a huge cut um, in, in the amount of money you're getting, you could suddenly have to drop out. Um, but at the same time, it's not that they're increasing the number of people who will get it. So if one student who's continuing gets it, another student who would be new doesn't. You found that in 10 states, more than half of the eligible low-income students weren't receiving the state grant money promised them. What do they do when they find out uh, that they are out of luck and won't be getting that aid? It really depends on the student. Um, some students will just go for a less expensive college or go to community college or go to some place that uh, they got a scholarship. Um, some students will just take on more debt. Um, and then some students don't go at all. They just figure there's no way that they can afford it, um, and they go and get a job. So I have three part-time jobs. Um, two of them are on campus, and then one of them is off campus. This is Romario Bautista. He goes to the University of Oregon. Oregon is one of those 10 states that leaves a lot of low-income students without grant money. More than half of the students that qualify for an Oregon Opportunity Grant don't get it because the state runs out of money. Yeah, so an Oregon Opportunity Grant is usually given to um, students of the state of Oregon um, who show, like, a um, financial need. So, like, other students who, like, like, students who identify for, like, the Pell Grant through financial aid. Romario once received $2,000 a year from the Oregon Opportunity Grant to help pay for college. Um, I believe I had it my freshman and sophomore year, and then um, I didn't receive it my my junior year. And so I kind of was went to financial aid and was asking with them, um, I don't know, kind of like what, what, what was what was going on, like why I didn't receive it. I had received it like two years prior. Romario was told that maybe it was because he didn't get all of his financial aid paperwork in on time. 
Um, and I always do my financial aid as soon as it comes out. So, um, yeah, I thought that was kind of interesting. It was ultimately because the Oregon Opportunity Grant just didn't have enough money to support all the students who need it. Because Romario lost that funding, he's taking an extra year to graduate from college. He had to lower his course load and pick up more shifts at work. It definitely did make an impact, kind of like, okay, well, you know, I'm not going to be getting this because I had like a certain um, budget or like, you know, of, of money, how much like I was going to be throughout the school year with classes and tuition. And then, you know, tuition keeps on increasing every year. So, um, you know, I began to pick up more shifts at work um, and, you know, kind of just, you know, it was, it was a little scarce. You found that in Florida, something like 100,000 low-income students never received state funding, even though they applied uh, on time and were qualified. What does that mean for the colleges in Florida? Well, that's that's a really good question because um, a lot of colleges have actually had enrollment issues. Um, They are are facing some of the, especially the community colleges, are having fewer and fewer students come as um, both as they decide to go to work and... Um, as they realize how expensive college is. So they end up with fewer students. How do states decide who gets the money and who doesn't when they don't have enough? I mean, is it a merit thing? Is it a just first come, first served? Some states will do it based on the amount of need. That is, the poorest students get first dibs. Some states do it on a first come, first serve basis. So it's just if you got your application in, the earliest, you're, you're number one on the list, and then it goes down from there. Um, the problem with the first-come, first-serve model is that the students who tend to apply later, even though they've made the deadline, they tend to be in schools with fewer resources and with uh, perhaps guidance counselors that are not sort of either they're overworked or they're just not on the process. Um, and so, again, you end up with students who are perhaps in the least resourced schools and neighborhoods being the ones who lose out because they're not applying super early. What are states doing to try to solve the problem? There are about 16 states that don't even track how many students who are eligible don't get aid. They don't even keep track of it. So the numbers that we have, the total of 900,000 students, is probably much lower than the reality. And one step that Oregon took was to begin to track how many students were were actually receiving aid and how much weren't so that they could get a handle on the problem so they could decide whether or not they had the money to fund everyone who had the need. Um, So that is one important step is to actually have legislators see the numbers and have to make the conscious decision. We're just not going to fund 20,000 eligible low-income students. I think when it's that stark, it's a different type of decision as opposed to, oh, we're just going to put this amount of money in the pot and we'll see, hopefully it'll, it'll fund everyone. Um, and in that situation, you're not really facing the sort of human toll. It's just um, a number. Meredith Kaladner, thank you so much. Thank you. As Meredith says, the financial aid picture varies dramatically from state to state. In Montana, not one student got need-based state aid in the 2016 school year. On the other end of the spectrum, Meredith found that 10 states gave aid to 100% of their low-income students who qualified. 
That includes Mississippi. Mississippi is also at the top of the list for generosity. The average grant per student there was about $5,800, higher than in any other state. That's it for this episode. Tell us what you think. We'd like to hear from you if you lost financial aid because your state ran out of money. Let us know. You can reach us on Twitter and Facebook at Educate Podcast, or you can send us a note to contact at apmreports.org. We'll be back in two weeks to talk about the nationwide teachers' strikes and whether teachers are losing their grip on the middle class. Alex Baumhart and Chris Julin produced the podcast, Catherine Winter is our editor, and Emily Hanford, our senior producer. This episode was mixed by Johnny Vince Evans. We partner with The Heckinger Report, a nonprofit independent news organization focused on inequality and innovation in education. Support for APM Reports comes from Lumina Foundation and the Spencer Foundation. I'm Stephen Smith. Thanks for listening. This is APM. Hey, before you go, I want to tell you about another podcast you have to check out. I'm Alex Baumhart, one of the producers of the Educate podcast. And the podcast I want to tell you about is called Miseducation. It's written and produced by New York City teens. Miseducation brings you in-depth, student-centered stories about segregation and inequality in the city's high schools. The stories are remarkable. Did you know that the state of Montana has a higher African-American percentage than Stuyvesant High School in Manhattan? Or that more than 100 predominantly Black and Hispanic New York City high schools have zero sports teams, while the whitest schools have upwards of 40? The best part of the podcast is that you hear about these issues of race and equity directly from the experts, students. When I went to the first day of school, I noticed that I didn't have a science class, which threw me off because most selective colleges want kids who took four years of math and science. So when I figured I had no science class, that was alarming. We were studying for the finals, and my teacher completely skipped over Africa and South America. When I asked why we didn't do it, he said, what did they actually contribute to society? You can subscribe to Miseducation wherever you get your podcasts and follow them on social media at Miseducation Pod.